to, I've read some statistics from a, from a study that was done of the church and of pastors, and uh, it, was, it was a study of uh, 1,000 evangelical pastors. And uh, I mentioned some of the, the statistic I talked about last week was the fact that, that uh, these pastors don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That they're trying to, that they think there's other paths, kind of thing. Well, the, another statistic from this, and I'll be reading some of these over the next few months. It was a very discouraging, um, very discouraging um, survey. In fact, uh, Franklin Graham came out and said that it was so bad that he he didn't even think it was real. He thought that maybe somehow uh, that these questions were staged or made up or something because it couldn't be as bad as it was. And I, I actually disagree with. Franklin, I think it's true. And I mean, you can just look at the world, right? You, you understand that the way that the country goes is because the church is going that direction. It's not, it's not like the world goes off on its own and then pulls the church with it. It's the, the church is complicit. The church is going along. And so uh, the statistic is 39% of evangelical pastors. You understand the term evangelical uh, means more, <clears throat> if you're going on a spectrum from Catholic to like ultra-charismatic, uh, you got Catholic, uh, Lutheran, Anglican, that kind of thing, Presbyterian as you're moving this way, Methodist, then you go into Baptist, and then um, uh, like different, more non-denominational, and then charismatic, Pentecostal would be first, and then charismatic. We're in that Pentecostal range. Um, the the when, when you're way over there in mainline, which is... Anglican, Lutheran, those kind of things. They, they have, they're the ones that are going to be the, the more liberal. They're the ones that are uh, ordaining homosexuals and things like that. That's, that's not evangelical pastors. Evangelical is when you get over to the Methodist Baptist arena and you're moving that direction toward the charismatic. That's all the evangelical range. The reason I say that is for the most part, they're, they're much more conservative than the more mainline churches. Not all. I'm, I'm generalizing. But uh, that's the case. But 39% of evangelical pastors said that there is no absolute moral truth and that each individual must determine their own truth. So, so this would be my question, is then why are you a pastor? If there's no moral absolutes, wouldn't the term be better as like social worker? Wouldn't that be a better term? Or, or maybe um, the Rotary Club leader, that would be more of the term. If you're, if you're going to be a pastor, then that means your manual is what? The Bible, which is an absolute truth book. Everything about it is absolute truth. And so it's just, it's just that's why our country's going the way that it is, is because we're seeing this, uh, we're seeing this happen. I don't know if you guys noticed, but normally once a month we do uh, donuts for missions. And uh, this morning was breakfast burritos. Did you guys know that? Do some of you need to go out there real quick? Um, Bob made these, and uh, it was so that so it was um, donation, I think, for missions. And uh, and so he's he's the last uh, three or four months he's been bringing us the staff up here. He's been bringing us samples to see if this is what we want. And the first batch were like, I don't know yet, Bob. So he's like, do you think we need green chilies in them? Probably so, Bob. <laughs> we've, we've literally had that three times. 
in the last few months, we just keep saying, one more try, one more, Bob, and I think we're going to be there. I think we're getting, we're honing in. Um, they're just, they were really good. How many of you would rather do that than donuts? How many still want donuts? I mean, I'm a donut guy, don't get me wrong. How many need both with a side of orange juice and milk? Okay. Ah, church people. So yesterday, I'm assuming some of you guys saw this on Facebook. Yesterday is when we did our uh, 100-mile bike ride for missions. Um, Myself, see, it was uh, me, Josh, Paul, and Charles. Paul's in here somewhere, right? Paul, are you in here? Paul, can you stand? Do you have the ability to stand? (laughs) There you go. Josh, Josh over here, he wrote in it also. And I was really proud. We, we, this, so this was a group of people from all over the state. This was, uh, this was the first time our district did this. Rocky Mountain, which is Colorado and Utah, was the first time we did it. Um, some of us had ridden in some others before and, and kind of coming up to this one. But this is our first one. It went really well. I was really, I was really pleased. I mean, 100 miles is still 100 miles, right? But, but it was good. We raised over $30,000, I think $33,000 for Speed the Light, which is vehicles for missions missionaries. And so it was, it was really good. We did ride down by Pueblo. Um, I don't know if our race coordinators, one of which was my wife, thought that through. It was 95 down there. And also it's Pueblo. Am I right? So, uh, but it was a good ride. It was a really good ride. Had a lot of good uh, time with a lot of other people uh, were there. There was um, one woman in it, uh, a couple by the name of Shannon and Jennifer, they just moved here from Louisiana like a month or two ago, and they wrote in this. So they had to have been praying for oxygen, right? <laughs> but, uh, but it was just good, and we, we really enjoyed ourselves. Our, our team, our guys did great. Um, I say our guys. Our guys did great, and then there was Charles. Uh, Charles was in first service. He's actually training for an Ironman right now. He's going to do an Ironman in November. So this was a light training ride for him yesterday, and, uh, and it was very difficult I consider myself a very strong rider, and it was very difficult to keep up with him. But he waited for me sometimes, which is demoralizing, by the way. <clears throat> when he gets to the top of the hill and he just kind of coasts in and we catch up, he's like, hey, good to have you guys with me. Um, I want to I tell you about something that we are doing, and this is, this is kind of a new thing for us. I'll explain that a little bit. But... Um, this, the, we, so we've been looking for a children's pastor. We hired a children's pastor this last Monday, um, and it is my daughter. We hired Emily to be our children's pastor. Now this is... Seemed to start slow there, didn't it? Yeah, okay. Uh, this is new territory for us. It's new territory for me. Um, never hired uh, one of my children. I hired my spouse one time. Um, she was, she was my administrative assistant and actually we, I just hired her temporary till we found somebody. And then like 15 years later, she was still doing it. She was, she was the best administrative assistant I ever had. She was amazing. Um, a, a little mouthy, uh, to the boss. <laughs> One time in particular, this is an exact moment. This, this, I'm not making this up. I called down to her office and I said, Hey, can you bring me those papers that were on your desk? She said, your legs broken. No, ma'am. 
I'll be right there. Uh, so that's why I hire other people nowadays. But I've never hired one of my kids. This is new territory for me. It's new territory for our church, for our board. We, we actually spend a lot of extra time going over this process. A lot, I usually, I mean, so, so the, I'm the one that does the hiring and firing around here. That's my responsibility. Uh, that's not uh, anybody else's responsibility. I always use the board in this, but it's kind of uh, mild, and it's like toward the end, once I've narrowed it down to who I want, then bring them in. Is there any checks in somebody's spirit? And it's just kind of a, a ratification kind of meeting at the end and make sure everybody's on the same page. But uh, from the very beginning of this, we began to walk with Emily through this. We knew her resume was the best. We knew her experience was the best, but she's still my daughter. And so we began to process through this. And you can talk to any of the board members about the process, the procedure that we went through, what this looks like, some of that kind of thing. Uh, we really ran her through the paces a lot more than we normally would as a group. Normally the board's not involved in all that. But we knew this was new territory, and uh, we definitely didn't want to, to slip into some kind of nepotism or something like that. So, so uh, we, we have come to the conclusion that she's uh, the next children's pastor. I wanted to let her introduce herself to you. She, she's been away for the last few years, so some of you that are newer here don't know her so well. So, Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Hi. Um, I'm Emily, like you said. Uh, I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> I grew up in this church, so it's kind of nice to be able to come back and kind of be in my roots that help grow me to who I am, and so I can do that with your kids. I can't wait to love, love your kids and show them how much I love them and how much Jesus loves them. Uh, with all of that being said, we do need volunteers um, it wouldn't be a children's pastor speaking if we weren't asking for volunteers. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to snuggle with some babies on Sunday mornings, or if you just want to do some dance moves with the worship, we need you. Um, thank you guys so much. Uh, goodbye now. Bye. So if you've got any questions about um, her or whatever, she did... She did grow up under great leadership over the last 23 years, so, so we feel confident in that. But she, she, was, she worked with a couple of fairly large churches in, in Texas while she was going to school in children's ministry. So some of the stuff that she's going to bring to the table, we're looking forward to seeing some of the whatever transitions and changes she has with that. But we also understand this is a unique place for, for all of us, unique place for me. Um, a unique place for the, the leadership of the church. We're, we're doing the best we can to make sure that, the, that all of our leadership understands that uh, she's one of the staff and it, that, that there's not going to ever be some kind of um, problem going and talking to me or whatever about this. Also, since Rick has been on staff as our executive, he's actually in charge of all the staff now. So there's going to be another layer there. Now you say... Uh, well, will that help with nepotism? Just so you understand how I look at things, the only form of nepotism would be a negative here. I, uh, I would be much harder on my kids than I'm going to be on everybody else. It's, I can't help that. Uh, and so Rick is actually going to be a buffer between Emily and I. She's gonna, he's going to protect her more than uh, <laughs> keep me from coming down to our... So, so any questions you have or any concerns, I was actually on the ride yesterday. The couple that I was talking about, they just came from a church in Louisiana that the entire staff, like 20 people, are all family. 
And I thought, eee, that's that makes me uncomfortable, right? That, and I asked them, I said, how's that going? Because I thought they were going to say, not so well. They said, it's going great, um, we think, but we're never in the staff meeting, so we don't know. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I've seen this be a good thing. I've seen it be a bad thing, but I'm looking forward to seeing what God does here. I'm excited about this with, with uh, Emily on board with us. And uh, so, so if you've got any questions, you're definitely... Um, we invite you to come talk to us, talk to the board, talk to them about the process, anything that you want to do along the way with this. I also wanted to introduce you to somebody before I jump into this. Uh, this is Andrew Dalby. <clears throat> I've gotten to know him a little while over the last couple months. I'm a solid guy, good Christian man. He's running for mayor of Colorado Springs. So, um, you don't know if that's good or bad yet. You haven't met him. You've got to talk to him. Um, you understand that when, when guys like him come through here, this is, I'm not endorsing him, but I have got to know him. I know he's a good Christian man. And uh, so, if, so here's your responsibility. Pick his brain. Ask him questions. Ask him difficult questions. Get, get, figure out what he thinks. Figure out what he believes. Um, this, this is part of your responsibility to do this, right? You, you know the deal. You've got to vote. That's the responsibility. But then part of that responsibility is you have to vote intelligently. So you have to talk to the candidates. Don't just, don't just look at a name you recognize and vote. You, you, you vote according to what you know. And so you've got to get to know these guys and, and see, what they're, see what they're thinking and, and uh, what their beliefs and stances are. So I'm sure he'll be hanging out around after service. He's a politician. That's what he does. <laughs> we love this. We love this. <clears throat> I hate that word. Don't you hate that word, politician? Um, but uh, definitely, definitely asking questions. Figure out what are you thinking. Uh, guys, I know I, know I say this. I, I have to stress this. We, 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 the people of the United States, first, we don't vote. Our, the American people don't vote. You realize that well less than half of the country votes every year. And when it comes to local politics, it becomes less. And then what they do is they just vote because they think they heard this person's name one time. They're not educated voters. We have got to change that, turn that trend around in our country, or we're going to continue sliding into the pits of darkness that we are sliding into right now. So um, <clears throat> I have um, been talking to you the last couple of weeks about the Encounter, out at, Encounter Outreach app. Uh, this is the picture of what it's going to look like. <clears throat> we, we want you to download it. Now, some of you, how many of you already downloaded the app? Okay. I don't mind you downloading it um, while I'm speaking. If you do, some of you are going to try to get online, and it's going to ask me if I can let you online. So I may be busy. But uh, we want you to download the app, and this is the reason. We want to, we want to turn our church into a group of people that are really praying for their neighbors. And then I believe that that will lead to you engaging your neighbors, uh, really talking to them. And then that will potentially lead to talking to them about Jesus. This is, this is a, a big priority for us. This is very important for us. The, our neighbors, our city needs Jesus Christ. Now, when you, when you um, Download this app. If you do it right now, right here, you put your information, put your address in, it will still show you the houses around the church here. Okay, you have to be sitting at your house 
for this to work unless you click on your address. Um, and then it'll show you that around there. And I'll explain more of the app as we get into this, but, but I want to I kind of take us through what, what our responsibility is. How do we, what is the engagement of this in our existence? Um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> Isaac, can you hand me a glass, a bottle of water over there? I drank the first one. You know, when you run 100, I mean, ride 100 miles, the next day you're kind of thirsty. And parts of you hurt, by the way. I was noticing with, I noticed when Josh got up from the, he's been sitting on that seat over there. I noticed when he got up, he was like, oh. <laughs> so when you sit on a bike seat for 100 miles, it'll do things to you. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus replied, this is the most important commandment. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. It carries the same weight. He just got through saying this is the most important commandment. Then he says, and this one is just as important. The same Level of importance. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. In the book of Matthew, it says that all of the law and the prophets hang upon these two commandments. Everything in, everything in the Old Testament is, is held within these two commands. Love God. And even if you go to the Ten Commandments, half of them are about loving God, half of them are about um, interacting with the people around you. Now, th this is something that is, has been interesting to me over the years to watch this, that um, I, I see this Christianity that we've developed in the church in America, that we have this relationship, or it's a theological premise, it starts theologically, that says that I can love God with everything about me, and then it stops there. And so our Christianity is built upon loving God. It's built upon serving God. And, and that's not bad, but that's only half of it. And we don't have this love our neighbor as ourself. And, and you understand as yourself, unless you have this desire to go to hell, then somewhere along the line, loving your neighbor as yourself demands that you care about their eternity. And if you're truly loving your neighbor the way God wants you to love your neighbor, how, how did God show his love for your neighbors? He sent Jesus to die on the cross, and Jesus gave his life for your neighbor. That's how much Jesus loves your neighbor, and that's how Jesus displayed his love for your neighbor. So loving your neighbor from your perspective must have that as the top priority. Jesus said in 2 Peter that he's not willing that anybody should perish. That's why he hasn't already come back yet. He doesn't want, it is not God's will for anybody to go to hell. He is not willing for anybody to go to hell. And so it is God's will that you be saved. It's God's will that your neighbors be saved. And if you're loving God, and the more you, that you begin, that the more you fall in love with God and serve God, the more his heart beats within your heart, and you start to care about the things he cares about, which is the souls of your neighbors. Not just the, their, their life or their children or whether they're doing okay you know, financially or paying their bills. Those are great things to care about. But the number one priority from Jesus 
for your neighbors is that they would be saved. Therefore, if you're serving Jesus and loving your neighbor the way you're supposed to, that should be your priority for your neighbors too, is that they know Jesus. And somehow we built this Christian paradigm that says, I can actually love God and do all the, the, um, the vertical stuff in spirituality, and that's good enough. That, that I'm loving God, it's me and God, but there's never this horizontal, the people around me, their souls, their eternity, and, and we have built a Christianity that's actually okay with that. That we go to church, and we sing our songs, and we do the stuff, and, and we read our Bible, and we give in the offering, and I'm good. Except that's only vertical. When do we, be, when, when do, we do the other half? That is equally important which is love our neighbor, and love your neighbor starts first with their soul, and then after that with needs, real felt needs, all that kind of stuff. But it starts with their soul because it's where Jesus started. So this has to be a foundation. As a Christian, this has to be a foundation. There's a great immaturity in Christianity in America, and I believe one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest, is we're not focusing on people's souls. We don't really care. It's okay if people go to hell. That's that's an okay paradigm in the church today. We don't think about it. We don't process it. We don't feel about it. Nothing. We just do all of our church stuff and our church words and our church sermons instead of, when do I care about the people that Jesus cares about? When is that a moving, driving force in my life? That, that just, to me, that shows that we have a huge inconsistency, inconsistency in our Christian walk, and, and um, I, I believe it relates to the, the very thin immaturity. And we think we become more mature in Christ by getting into the Word more. And that will do that, except I know people that have memorized the Bible, know everything about it, and have no relationship with Jesus, no care for Him whatsoever, or anybody else. Because you can't allow the Bible to be head knowledge. When you allow it to become into your spirit, you'll begin to care, care about the things that God cares about. And the number one thing he cares about is souls, the soul of every human being. Luke chapter 10, verse 20, 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Now, this is a different question. I mentioned this uh, quite a few months ago now, but... but um, when Jesus, you, Jesus is very sarcastic to the, um, to the religious leaders of the day, right? And one of his, one of his uh, famous, it's the most common go-to statement of sarcasm that Jesus uses toward the religious leaders. And by the way, he was never sarcastic to lost people. But he was sarcastic to the church. And what he always said to them was... Um, these are the people that have been studying the law all of their life, and he would say, don't you even read the law? Right? I mean, that's a, that's a dig. That's the only reason he says it is to dig, because their mind and their spirit is not at a place to accept truth, but maybe sarcasm can, can break through the shell. And what sarcasm also does is show all the other people standing around the inconsistency with this uh, religiosity that's going on. But this statement right here, he does not use sarcasm. Don't, don't confuse this. It's a similar statement, but it's not sarcastic. Because the guy that's asking the question, I believe, is really 
I'm interested. He's really got an open heart for this. And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? He's asking him, when you see this, what do you see? What do you understand? That's not sarcastic. It's not the same thing. He's really trying to get this guy's answer here. And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You're like, how would this religious leader know this? Isn't this a New Testament thing? No, it's in the Old Testament too. Love God, love your neighbor is an Old Testament mentality, not just New Testament. And Jesus is excited that he has the correct answer. And he says, right, do this and you will live. We do not, I think we don't even understand it enough in the American church, but we definitely don't put enough emphasis on the fact that your, that your relationship with the Lord and your life in Christ comes from loving God, loving your neighbor together. They have to go together. If they don't go together, you have a very twisted, warped, I believe very selfish, narcissistic, humanistic approach to Christianity, which is I'm going to love God because he's doing this for me and he's blessing me and he's giving and he's doing it and all. And there's never this, and then that therefore must transition into somebody else coming to know him. Because if it doesn't, how much are you really excited about what God is doing? You, you can talk to somebody for five, ten minutes and begin to know what's important to them because they will talk about it. It's interesting that as Christians... We can go years living right next door to somebody and never they never know we're Christians. Something is disconnected. Something is not, is not truly in relationship. How, how long can you go at work before... What, what if your spouse shows up to work at your job and you've been working there for 15 years and, and, they, and your spouse walks in and you say, oh, this is my wife, Linda. And they say, oh, we didn't know you were married. How is that going to go with spouse? Right? They're, it's the same with kids. Well, I didn't know you had kids. You don't ever talk about them? I mean, yeah, sometimes it's negative. I get that. But, but talk about your kids, grandkids. I tell people about my grandkids everywhere I go. The, the opening screen on my phone is my grandkids. In case somebody says, oh, you have grandkids? They're going to see pictures. I know that pe- that makes people uncomfortable and they don't care, but I don't care that they don't care. <laughs> right? How many grandparents are with me? Yeah. Right? You, you don't, I don't care if you want to know my grandkids. You're going to. I've even got videos. Here's the thing is why... Why, if we have a relationship with Jesus, why is this not coming out? Why is this not happening? So, verse 29 is, is, is crucial because this is how we do the same thing. Uh, the man wanted to justify his actions. We have not been talking about actions at this point, right? What actions is he talking about? The only thing we've had is the question and answer, the back and forth, the discussion. He says, um, uh, the opening is, what should I do to have eternal life? That's not an action, that's a question. And Jesus says, you know the law. And he says, yeah, I love God, love my neighbor. Okay. And then he says, he, he wants to justify his actions. What actions? Well, apparently his actions are, he has not been properly loving God and loving his neighbor. Now, because he's a religious leader, he's probably been going through the, the formula 
of loving God, but we don't know that he really does love God. But apparently there is an action that there are certain actions that he is not doing that he knows he's convicted of. And so he's justifying this to Jesus, although Jesus didn't ask him about this stuff. But here's interesting because we do this exact same thing. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Which lets me know what the actions he's trying to justify are. He's not loving his neighbor. And he, and he, and he may be not even has properly, properly processed this. And he asked, who's my neighbor? And I've, I've seen that discussion. I've heard sermons about it all my life, this kind of thing. And, and we always have a fairly broad understanding of who is our neighbor, right? Your coworkers, all this kind of thing. But I, I don't want to broaden out into that. For the sake of this and for the sake of the, the uh, app that we're using, here's the definition of neighbor. Your neighbor. Okay, that's the definition we're going to run with for neighbor, for this whole thing. Uh, the person living right next to you. Right? You say, well, I live you know, out in Falcon, and, and the nearest person is, is uh, half an acre. So, that's your neighbor, right? That's your neighbor. You know who your neighbors are? So my nearest neighbor is, it doesn't matter the distance, you know who your neighbors are. So we're just going to go with that. Most of you, like me, your neighbor is, is close enough that when you sneeze, they say, bless you. Right? They, you know who your neighbor is. Um, here's some things that I found. One is, you know some of your neighbors, but not all. Uh, you know some of their names, but some of them, you forgot their name years ago, but you just like, hey, buddy, you know, because you forgot their name, but they live right next door to you for 10 years. So you, you know them, but you don't know their name. Um, some people you have not actually interacted with. You see them, but you've not really ever interacted with them. Some of them may be newer. Maybe you don't know them at all. Uh, we, have, we have one neighbor that's, that's kind of catacorn from us. I've seen them one time. I don't know if they work nights, I don't know what they, but I've never seen them outside. Uh, some of you know very well and you're connected with. Some of you may even and, you know, hang out and have dinner and that kind of thing. But here's what we're wanting to do. We want to, to encourage you and get you going and do whatever you can to pray for your neighbors. This is, this is not your bigger group, your coworkers, friends and family, all that kind of stuff. That's, you figure that out. We're just going to use this app to focus on just the people that live right around us. And here's the reason. Most Christians have never witnessed. In fact, over 80% of all pastors of churches have never witnessed to anybody in their life. Okay? So that means that the statistic has to be much less uh, in, in the average person sitting in a church. Most people, most of you in here have never witnessed anybody. That's not an indictment. That's just reality, and we want to try to figure that out and change that and push you a little bit and, and give you a tool to accomplish that. So we're going to start by just praying for the people that are right next door to us, that we sleep within 50 feet of them. Have you ever thought about it like that? There's all kinds of things I could say there that make you more uncomfortable. But, but you're right next to these people. Let's, let's, let's start praying for them. Because I believe if you pray for them, God will begin to soften your heart and you will begin to want to engage with them, talk to them. If you do that very long at all, you're going to begin to talk to them about Jesus. It's going it's, it's to come up. And so 
So that, that's, this is our goal. This is what we're trying to do with this. And you know, interestingly, after he asked the question, who's my neighbor, this is the parable of the, the, uh, the um, Good Samaritan. And I'm not going to go over the story. But it's interesting. You can take the, the parable of the Good Samaritan and you can put any people groups into there and it works. You know that, right? Any, any subculture, anything. Um, neighborhood mentalities. You can, I, I came from Texas. I heard a pastor use um, um, Oklahoma University and Texas Tech for the, for the uh, Samaritan. I'm not going to tell you which one he was against. It was obvious through the message. But you can put anybody in there. If, if it was back in, in uh, World War II and right after World War II, you would hear a lot of sermons that had to do with the Samaritan and the, all the different people as the Nazis or whatever, you, you know, you can put any group in there. We're still supposed to love people. It doesn't matter who you put in there. The, whoever, whoever you think is a bad person, it may be one of your neighbors. But that is the concept of the Good Samaritan is God created people, and he really likes those people. And so we're supposed to be doing something about this. So the first thing is loving your neighbor starts in your head. You really have to think about it. You have to decide this. You have to make a decision to do this. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? This is, this is cool to me that the Holy Spirit is asking this question through Paul to us, that, that Jesus is asking... Um, do, do, you have, are you, do you have tenderheartedness and are you compassionate? Well, God's the one who puts that within us. He, he puts this desire to know him, but also to care for others. He puts this innately within human beings. In fact, one of the things that makes um, people that are, that are um, uh, sociopaths and things like that is they start to get to a point where they don't care anything about other humans. And you see that earlier in life when they don't care about animals as a child, right? You guys know that basic um, mental health issue thing. The reason is because we, we are struggling with this idea of, uh, that God puts within us that we should care, that we should care about people, that we should care about um, humans. We should care about, this is, why, this is why abortion is such a big deal. How can, you, how can you be okay with a baby being murdered and then we couch it with, that's, well, that's a woman's right? It's not. She, she's not allowed to kill her baby. It doesn't matter what age it is. That's not a, that's not a human right. I, don't, I, don't, I can't do that. You can't do that. Nobody is allowed to do that. But we, we say, well, that's her right over her body. It is not, guys. That is a stupid lie that the world has been telling. That's a different human. And, and what bothers me the most is that somebody could say, well, I'm okay with it. That's what bothers me. This is a human, and you're, and you're okay with killing, and it's actually a very brutal death, and you're okay with this? So somewhere there is this compassion and tenderheartedness that God has put within, Nate, within all human beings, and we have to work at that to suppress that to the point where we don't care. Well, what happens is then we give our heart to Jesus Christ, and we do have this, com- this compassion, this tenderheartedness, toward lost people. Most, most brand new Christians you talk to, they are so much about telling their friends about Jesus. It's after we've been living for Jesus for a while that we can suppress that. We push it back, squish it down. 
because we're, we're closing up our heart to the tenderness and the compassion. But here's we, we, we know this. The closer you get to the Lord, the more you care about the things he cares about. The more you're concerned with what he's concerned about. The more you really love God, that you will love the things of God. This is why holiness is, is a big thing within the church. It should be. It's not anymore. It's not preached too much nowadays. But holiness should be a big deal. Why? Because, as Peter said, be, the, the Lord said, be, you, be holy, for I am holy. Well, if he's holy and you're wanting to be close to him, you should have a desire for that. I mean, it's just kind of a, a basic system of thinking as you're going through this stuff. We should care more about people the closer we get to the one who made them. The one who those are his kids, we should care about those people uh, in the process. And so he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. We talked about this a little bit Wednesday night. The last few weeks we've been talking about what happens if you can't have church anymore. And we were talking about uh, the church having to go underground like it has many countries around the world. And what if that happens in America? What do we do? And so we spent three weeks talking about that. And the question came up. Aiden asked the question, well, what happens when um, you're having like a home church and this is, it's illegal to have church and somebody in that church gets mad and they go and tell the government or whatever the case is? There, there is a possibility of that. And we do see that, that this that is written about this because it does happen and it's happened over the years, centuries. But... My, my, my first answer to that is the more the church focuses on Jesus and the more the church focuses on his word and being who they really are supposed to be, the less they care about the color of the carpet. You, you, those, aren't, those aren't things. If you're risking your life to get together with other Christians in the, in the dark of night because the government is going to put you in jail, you don't usually concern yourself with petty little things. The reason churches split over petty little things is because their eyes are not on Jesus. They're part of a group that's about themselves. It's just about what I think, and everybody must do what I think because we don't care what Jesus thinks. But when you focus on truly serving the Lord, truly surrendering and submitting yourself, becoming a living sacrifice, according to Romans 12. It's no longer you. It's no longer your will. It's no longer your plans. You become a living sacrifice to Jesus, and you begin to want to do what he desires. Then one of the first things that will begin to happen in your spirit is you will begin to care about lost people, not whether the, the, the walls are a certain color. Or where there's somebody looked at me and they said nothing and they just drove. I, I had a lady years ago come to me and say, I'm leaving the church. And I'm like, why? Because I'm supposed to ask that. <laughs> and she said, because I drove right by you in traffic and you did not raise, you did not wave at me. I'm like, see ya. <laughs> How about that wave? I mean, that's stupid stuff. Really? Really? We're supposed to be the body of Christ with Jesus as the head and his blood flowing through us? And we're concerned with whether somebody waved at us going 70 miles an hour down the freeway? Guys, we play stupid games. But, but when you get to the point where it's, you, your life is in danger for meeting with these other people... You're not going to have church splits. 
That's a non-thing. That's only in our lazy, pampered Christianity, self-focused Christianity, that we have this kind of stuff. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Don't we spend a lot of time and energy doing that, trying to impress others? I had an epiphany the other day. I, the most common question I get um, in this political thing is, well, when you get up to Denver, are you going to compromise? First, they don't know me if they're asking that question. They really don't know me. But, but here's the thing with me. You know why people compromise? Because they're more worried about what people think than what God thinks. That's how simple it is. I'm trying to impress somebody. I don't spend time trying to impress anybody. I mean Linda, but it comes naturally with her and I. Most times when I walk in the door, she's like, hmm. Don't you, husbands, don't you wish that were true? That just you walk in the door, they're like, hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Usually I'm there for like 45 minutes. Like, when did you get here? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. When you start trying to impress others, you start to compromise who you are in the process without even realizing you're doing it. And then what happens is you're compromising. If, if, since you are compromising yourself, you're actually compromising your principles at some level. Somewhere along the lines, that is going to happen because you're concerned with what these people think. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a very dangerous place to be. Be humble. Be humble, thinking of, your, uh, uh, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Man, we struggle with that. That's just naturally countercultural in America. That is not American culture. That's, you, know, you know how I know that we don't do that? Be humble, thinking of yourselves as better than others? Because we have something called Instagram. The, the existence of Instagram has proved to me we don't understand that scripture. The existence of TikTok is proof to me that China knows everything you're doing. <laughs> Verse 4, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You have a next-door neighbor that has interest and cares. Do you know what they are? Do you know anything about them? You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. And what was Christ's attitude? He gave his life to save our souls. That's his attitude. He loves us. That's his attitude. He cares for us with everything. That's his attitude. He wants us to be blessed and prosper in him. That's his attitude. So that should be our attitude for our next-door neighbors. That should be it. Romans 13. Owe nothing to anyone. That, that's, you know that's a whole message right there, right? You know one of the things that I have watched for 30-plus years of being a pastor is that God will, will move on somebody's heart and spirit. Hey, I want you to um, give to, the, to this missionary. We have a missionary come. I want you to give to this missionary this week. And you can't because Visa won't let you. That's not a good place to be. Right? Who are you indebted to? The Lord? I'm saying at that moment, who's in charge? The Lord? Or visa. 
And we get ourselves so in debt that we cannot be obedient to the Lord and be led by the Lord because we are so strong. And this has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have. Okay, you can have two people that have the exact same income, but one that is indebted to interest-bearing things is a slave to those things where the other person will have freedom, maybe not as much stuff, but will have freedom because they're not indebted to that interest-bearing stuff. He says it right there. This is scriptural stuff. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to, want to love one another. That's actually a debt that you have. We don't think about this, but when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sins away. He, it's called substitutionary work of the cross. He put himself in our place. Our sin demanded penalty. He puts himself in our, in our place so that he takes the penalty of that death that our sin was going to bring. And so then the, the parable of the talents and things like that shows us that we're supposed to be uh, in debt to other people because of the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus demands that I am indebted to love others. He takes my sin away through his love, and therefore I am obligated to love other people. And that's what he's talking about right here. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's laws. You will. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These are all the things in the Ten Commandments that have to do um, horizontally. Right? The love, love God, have no other gods, that's, that's vertically. Now he's talking about in the Ten Commandments, they're the horizontal ones, the relational sins. And every single one of these, he says, these and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirement of God's law. There is, there's requirements to serving God. <clears throat> this is fulfilled when you love God, love others. You fulfill physical, natural things by doing something that is emotive, um, mental, and spiritual, and that's loving God. It's, 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 action is going to come from it, but action is not the, the drive. It's the relationship that's the direction, the drive. That's the, that's the foundation of it. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Now, regardless of when you think Jesus is coming back, uh, when this was written, there was an urgency that Paul is writing here, and that was 2,000 years ago. So any casual mathematician is going to know there should be more urgency today. Correct? Right? So if there's more urgency today, then we've got to care about people more today than we did 2,000 years ago. We've got to care about souls. We've got to care about people's lives. We've got to care the same way that God cares for them. Now, I was going to leave the rest of this out, but I included it because I think that there is an importance to going along with um, the, the, the sin thing that happens in our life and the, the, the testimony or lack of testimony that that can hap, uh, interact with our neighbors with. Okay, So he says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Your neighbors are watching what you're doing. The same way you know a lot more about your neighbors than you ever wanted to, they know stuff about you too. 
They, they hear those arguments, all these different things that happen in our life. They, they, they see the, the family dynamics. They see all this kind of stuff. I, I've been saying this for decades now. One of the, the easiest um, testimonies you can have to your next-door neighbors is to get up and go to church every week because they know that's what you're doing every week. There's a testimony about that, the commitment level, the, 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 the investment. I'm all in with this. This is important to us as a family, all those kind of things. And, and I've had many people over the years tell me that their neighbors would come to them and say, um, I see that you go to church every day. Will you pray for my family? Something like that. Because they see it. Well, they, they can see the negative stuff too. Years ago, God really worked on me with this. When I was young, I was early 20s, so that's my excuse. But I did not have a good relationship with my next-door neighbor. He, he, he was a jerk, and his kids were a jerk. He was a coach at the high school, and, and uh, he was just a jerk. And, and his kids had a, had a uh, trampoline. They would jump on the trampoline. I had a, a big dog. I had a big black lab at that point. And, and, uh, and he would be out there running around the yard playing, and they would jump on the trampoline and take bricks and throw them at my dog while they were, they'd get, you know, jump high and then throw them at my dog. And I'd come out and holler them. They'd laugh, and you know, and they're not going to do anything. Their dad would come out, and I don't see him doing anything wrong. Ay. So their name was Underwood. So I made sure I had teenagers over at the house all the time. So I started calling him Underwear, and I, I encouraged all the teenagers in my youth group to call him Underwear. And these kids went to the school where he was the coach. You see the problem. And um, in fact, one day he, my dog, they hit, they hit him in the in the back leg with, a, with one of the bricks. And I was coming up to the back door, and I saw this, and, and my dog just went out at this wood slat fence. Just went out, and he started pushing against it. He was a big, big dog. And he started pushing against this, and I realized he's going to push that fence over. And I'm like, you got this. You, you try harder. You put your shoulders into it. You're not putting your shoulders. <clears throat> And uh, somewhere, somewhere right in there, I felt like the Lord said, really, Scott? And, um, and really convicted me. And finally, I, I actually went next door to Mr. Underwood. And I apologized to him. And, and he knew all the stuff I was saying about him. He knew the stuff I was getting the kids to say. And, and guys, that's, that's, not, that's not being a Christian. That's not acting like a Christian. That's not loving him the way Jesus would love him. I really doubt Jesus would ever call him underwear. I, I think I'm supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself, right? And I had to go repent to him. I had to go and apologize and repent to him. This is, this is not, here's the thing I found. Sometimes your neighbors are going to be good people. Sometimes they're not. But you be more mature. You be bigger. You have a stronger relationship with the Lord, not a weaker one. No matter what they do, you can be bigger, well, there are kids. I, I, one of my neighbors right now, this wasn't a really bad thing. I didn't, in fact, I thought it was kind of cool. But one day we're standing in the kitchen, and I look, and my neighbor's dog was standing in my kitchen with me. And he, he can climb fences. I, I have a big wood fence. He just climbed over the top and jumped in and walked into my kitchen. And his, and it, and his owner comes running, I'm, my dog's in your yard. I'm like, yeah, he's in my kitchen, actually. But, I mean, it didn't bother me. I like the dog. I talk to the dog every day. But... I mean, some of you would be like freaking out. How dare they? Guys, let's just be bigger. No matter what's going on, let's just be bigger. Why? Because Jesus really likes these people. 
He created them. You say, well, I don't think Jesus likes my neighbor. He does. He does. This is something God showed me years ago when Linda and I first got married. I thought I was, I mean, I was already a youth pastor, and I thought, okay, I'm the youth pastor. I'm the guy in charge. I'm that all this stuff. And then Linda basically just was blessed to be married to me. I mean, that's literally the way I looked at it. And, 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 I'm, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, that's the way I looked at it. And then one day, God really put it in my heart. You know, I made her too. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And I really like her. And I felt like God said, a lot more than you right now. And so I really began to change the way I began to think about this. And it dawned on me. And God began to show me this about everybody in my world. God created that person, and he likes them. He likes them a lot. In fact, when you're at a restaurant and you're treating the waiter or waitress wrong, I think he likes them better than you. Write it down. (laughs) We treat people horrible sometimes. Jesus likes these people. They're his kids. He made them. He designed them, fashioned them beautifully, perfectly. And he has a purpose for them. And one day when your neighbor gets saved, you might get to start seeing the fulfillment of God's purpose in their life. And it might amaze you. It might astonish you with what God can do with somebody and how he uses them. What he does. He says, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling or jealousy. I I had a couple come to me a while back and they were explaining to me they had been invited to a party in their neighborhood. And by the way, I've heard this equivalent of the story probably 10 or 12 times over the years. They got invited to a party in their neighborhood, and they go hang out with these people. They, they show up at the time and everything. And, um, and this should have been their first clue, but I think they were kind of naive. When they walked in, they said, okay, everybody put your keys in this bowl. You guys know where I'm headed with them? These people were swingers. And it caught these people off guard. They didn't know, and they finally realized about halfway through, what are we doing here? And they just preached a little message. This is, this is demonic. Satan is not okay with this. You're destroying your marriages, your children. You're destroying your families. You're destroying all of this stuff. And they had to dig their keys out of their bowl while they're yelling at them, you know, so they could leave. But, but here's the thing with this. Guys, our neighborhoods are full of sin and darkness. They're full of it. But you can be the light right in the middle of that. And you pray for this household. And you pray for this household. This household, this one may, Christians may live there. Pray for them anyway. This one may be very dark. Pray for them. You may not know much about this and pray for them. Guys, we are given the responsibility here. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. The second thing, prayer will make this happen. The Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. You know, I don't like the fact that it's called the Lord's Prayer. I never have. The Lord's Prayer is a little bit later in Scripture when Jesus is talking to God. To me, that's the Lord's Prayer. This one is the disciples' prayer or our prayer. The Lord's Prayer is when he's talking, Jesus and God are talking. Then Wouldn't that be the Lord's Prayer? Right? I mean, don't go scratching out and changing your Bible. I'm just saying that's my thinking on this. Verse 9, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Always start prayer with worshiping God. Don't throw your demands down and leave. Talk to him. 
May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what the Lord's will is? For your neighbor to be a Christian. So you're praying, Lord, your will is for them to be saved. There are certain things in Scripture we know are God's will. This is one of them. This is your will, Lord. Save their soul. I plead your blood over their soul and their family and their lives and their kids. I pray over this. The third, loving your neighbor is not always easy. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Did you know? Did you realize you really can't do both of those simultaneously? They're exclusive. Right? For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. And that's what humans are the best at, destroying one another. We should be good at loving each other. If we're serving Jesus, we should be really good at it. That should be our life and our mind and our existence. So I'm going to show you some pictures, and we're going to look at how this app is going to work for us. So the left side is the dashboard. When you first go in there, it'll ask you to put, it, put in your... Um, information, all that kind of stuff, and this kind of shows you where you're at. It says here that 10 people are being prayed for, two are, engaged, are being engaged. So you, so you have, um, so you, you, when you put your information again, like I said, you need to be sitting at home or you need to touch your address for it to show you the round. If you just do it right here, it'll show you the houses around the church. So then the right-hand side is somebody's home um, in, in the blue dot with the circle around it, and then the other blue dots are the people that they are praying for, the people in their neighborhood that they are praying for. Okay, so go to the next one. And this is what you do when this happens is you see the left-hand button, the two hands in the blue, uh, to pray, you push on that address and you, pr and you push that because you're going to be praying for them, right? You're, you're making a commitment to pray for them, and you can put notes in there. You can uh, set yourself an alarm, all kinds of stuff. Whenever your normal prayer time is, pray for your neighbors, uh, something I'm going to do, even though I know most of my neighbors, there's a couple I don't, um, I know most of my neighbors, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this as an opportunity to engage with them too. Now, I'm not going to include this in the engage. Uh, I'll explain that in a second. But I'm going to go to my neighbor and I'm going to say, our church just started this thing where we're praying for all of our neighbors, and this is important to us, that we pray for all of our neighbors. Would it be okay with you if you tell me everybody's name in your household? Now, some people are not going to be okay with that. That's fine. Um, if they're your neighbor and they're, and if you haven't had a good relationship with them, you might want to start off with, hey, I haven't been a good neighbor and I'm sorry. And then I'm going to ask him, can, uh, can I put your names um, in my notes here? Because when I pray for you, I want to pray for each of your family members. I guarantee you most people are not going to say no to that. In fact, what's going to happen is if you have your notes open, they're going to say, would you pray about this? Would you pray about this? So I'm going to go to all my neighbors, make sure I have their names, and, uh, and, and then I'm going to make some notes about that. And then on the right-hand side, you see where the engage button has been uh, made solidly red. That means that address now becomes uh, engaged. That means you had some kind of conversation with them. It doesn't mean you witnessed to them. It just means you talked to them. You just had some kind of conversation. Start there. If you're praying for them every day and you actually start having conversations with them, it, those will lead to you witness to them. The Holy Spirit will make sure. He's going he's to provide that for you. And so 
this is our goal. This isn't the whole neighborhood. This isn't everybody at your workplace. This isn't the masses. This is the, the four people right beside you and in front of you, and maybe, if you're just crazy fanatical, the ones behind you. Okay? Just your neighbors. Just your neighbors. We're going to pray for them, and we're going to engage them in conversation. Then go to the, to the uh, last one. Then you have a notes section. Um, that you can put whatever in there, okay? These notes will not be known. Somebody after first service that's been using that for a couple weeks now came up, and their, in their app, their house was red. They said, I didn't make it red. I said, that means one of your neighbors is using this app. And he knows you. And he goes, well, the guy across the road's a Christian. We talk all the time. Well, he made you red. Okay? He's like, cool, so we're kind of working together. Yes, but here's the thing. Don't, don't depend on anybody else. If you get in there and they're all red, you don't just praise the Lord, we've done it. You know, not, come on. <laughs> you pray and you engage. Okay? You can personalize and you can undo those things and change them. You pray and you engage. Okay? And then you make notes. When, you, when you're doing that and, and your neighbor says, hey, this just happened in, in our life order, make that note. Take your phone out right then. Don't be like, okay, I'll do that later. You know, t- they'll want to say it. They'll actually tell you what to put in the notes. Engage them. Put your notes down. And now you have some very strategic, intentional opportunity. All right, stand with me. <clears throat> Again, how many of you have already downloaded the app? How many of you have downloaded it this morning while I'm speaking? Okay, good. Own it. <laughs> um. Guys, start using this. You say, well, that's, kind of, that's not really my thing. Well, so let me ask you this. Are you praying for your neighbors? Because that has to be your thing. This app may not be your thing, but praying for your neighbors needs to be your thing. This app is just a tool to help you do that. So, so use it. Utilize the benefit that it's very simple. Utilize it. And we have Yohan. Where's Yohan? I saw him. Yohan, raise your hand. Yohan works for Every Home for Christ. They're the ones who developed this. He uh, can help you. If you have any questions about this app, do not ask me. Ask Yohan. And, uh, and, and they have people that, that, if you do have questions, call the church. We will make sure we get the answers because we they, they've got guys at Every Home for Christ that developed this. They can help us with any glitches or anything that goes wrong with this. Um, guys, we really want this to be a, a good tool for you. So how many of you right now would say, um, I'm going to pray for my neighbors? I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a commitment. Because you're not making the commitment to me. You're making the commitment to God. God, I want to pray for my neighbors. Help me do this. Lord, we ask you to, to help us. Lord, we know you've called us. We know that you, that you love our neighbors. Lord, we know that you are wanting to use us to witness to our neighbors. So Lord, help us to do this. And as we begin to pray, that you will soften our heart, give us compassion, and help us to be drawn to our neighbors. And that, Lord, that they can come to know you. And that, that their lives will belong to you. And they will become amazing neighbors because they love you. And Lord, we thank you for this. So we plead your blood over us. We plead your blood over our neighbors, our neighborhoods. God, help us to begin to pray. And then, Lord, you're going to give us opportunities to engage. I know this. Lord, we're already hearing testimonies. God, thank you for this. So use us, anoint us, 
God, help us just to get out of our house and walk next door. We can do this. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here's the last piece. As you're doing this and you have a good testimony, something happens, come tell us. Email us. Do something. We want to see what's happening. We're going to make some of that known to the church as it can be known. But please let us know. This is, this, is, this is community. This is truly what community is. So shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Tell them how glad you are that they're here. We will see you. If you're coming to my house tonight, make sure I know that. If not, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.